Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Jess Turner, President of the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, which is sort of like a trade association of trade associations. And while that phrase, a trade association of trade associations, may sound like the most inside-the-beltway thing you've ever heard, the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, or ORR as it's known, is doing some really cool and amazing work to support not just the sport fishing industry, but recreation as a whole. As we'll discuss, through working together in ORR, the various segments of outdoor recreation have learned that we have a lot in common and that, collectively, we're much greater than the sum of our parts. Jess does an amazing job running ORR, and her passion, energy, and intellect have played a major role in the successes we've seen in growing outdoor recreation's prominence on Capitol Hill. After listening to this interview, I'm sure you'll understand what I mean. But before we get to that, I want to do a quick shameless plug and ask that if you're enjoying this show, please give us a five-star review and comment in whatever podcast app you're using. I've noticed we've been stuck at 10 reviews on the Apple Podcast app for a while, and it would be awesome to see that number go up. So thanks in advance, and now let's get on with the show. I'm pleased to be joined on this episode of the Politics of Fish podcast with uh, Jess Turner, who is the president of the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable. So welcome, Jess. Pleased to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So Jess, I know you've, I've known you for many years. You've been in this outdoor recreation space for a while, but for the listeners, sort of tell us the story, the journey of uh, how you've gotten into this career of outdoor recreation, uh, sort of what's your background, what got you uh, to the point now of, of running ORR? Sure. Well, I definitely didn't know outdoor recreation was a career. When I started, I was in grad school at Georgetown doing a practicum on uh, renewable energy development. Um, And it made sense to work for the Bureau of Land Management in this role. So internship with them. And it was one of those like fate moments where my first day was the first day of the Obama presidency, actually. Um, It was inauguration day. And they came into office and, you know, there's not a lot of political appointees at that time because they have to ramp up and they don't know kind of what they're doing as a new administration. They don't have contacts. They don't have people to meet with. And they just needed some interns who were in the building uh, to help with that. So my boss at the Bureau of Land Management said, take Jess. She doesn't even have a computer set up yet. Um, You can have her for a week. She can help. And then, you know, she'll come back down and work on our energy stuff. And that one week turned into two weeks and two weeks turned into two months. And then that turned into four years. So basically um, just helping the secretary's office with a couple mundane tasks for a couple weeks turned into um, me working for the office of the secretary for four years in a lot of different roles, working on external affairs and deep water horizons and youth in the great outdoors and ultimately writing um, the America's Great Outdoors report uh, for youth, uh, which led to work on the Let's Move initiative with the first lady and launching let's move outside and really better understanding that conservation was more than just, you know, the places, but it was a lot about the people. And that's something I've always, you know, known intrinsically because I grew up outside all the time, upstate New York, doing every outdoor activity you can imagine because there's not a lot of other things to do, but in the winter you, you know, ski and snowmobile. And um, in the summer, you're always on the boats and hiking and biking and camping. And um, I didn't realize that people had it differently and, and definitely opened my eyes as I was touring the country with a couple of the cabinet secretaries on um, America's Great Outdoors 
that not everyone and most people do not actually have that access to the outdoors that shaped my life so much. And that became a real passion. And um, that work led to partnerships with groups like the North Face and Patagonia. And when a job opened at OIA, Outdoor Industry Association, for their first ever DC lobbyist, um, that seemed like a great role. And I had good colleagues um, in those businesses recommending me for it. So I went over to OIA and lobbied for uh, those companies, 1200 outdoor gear brand and apparel companies for, I think that was there for six years. And then um, through the work at OIA, Outdoor Roundtable was forming and OIA was uh, a member and as ASA and many others and learning so much about the collaborative opportunities of all of the industries coming together and seeing that there was many other associations beyond the one that I worked with was just so fascinating. And um, that turned out to be uh, the right role at the right time. And so I came into this role about three and a half years ago now. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned up front, not necessarily starting out with the idea of doing uh, recreation policy as a career. And I feel like that's probably not the goal of a lot of people that no. love the outdoors and how can I make a career out of this? I'll let me spend a bunch of time sitting in office buildings, you know, working on weedy technical policy stuff, but uh, you know, and it's a relatively small space, but I think from my standpoint, part of what's been so interesting and rewarding about uh, ASA's involvement with ORR is seeing just how much bigger this community is than just, you know, we all kind of view ourselves in a silo. Fishing, we'll work on fishing issues. Uh, RVs, we'll work on RV issues. So talk about ORR and sort of the role it has played over the last several years in bringing what previously were sort of disparate outdoor recreation trade groups working on their own pet issues and recognizing, hey, maybe we we have a lot in common. What's What's that sort of evolution been like? Yeah, it's been so interesting because I think it really started prior to ORR. You know, if you hear from folks like Glenn and Frank and other leaders in the industry that uh, it was actually around OIA putting together that economic data, the Outdoor Industry Association, when they were putting together economic report, they needed to talk to the fishing industry and the ski industry and the bike industry and the snowmobile industry and the RV industry to get their economic numbers that they were really going to show the entire um, impact of the sector. And so those relationships started to build. And I think once you realize there's a lot out there that's similar to you, you know, why, why don't we work together? And so I think in understanding how big and powerful we were as a sector of the economy when we're together, it seemed almost you know, insane to not work together on policy issues, right? If you have this policy economic might and then you're not using it, well, that's kind of silly. Um, and so seeing how it has evolved from coming together because we're sort of all in the same boat, if you will, to, well, we have so many things in common. We can talk about trade. Yes, we're pretty much all locked up in trade. We can talk about funding. Yep, we all want you know certain amount of funding, adequate funding for fish and wildlife and, and our public lands and spaces. Yes, infrastructure. We need to modernize modernize infrastructure. We need to help infrastructure on public lands and waters. Um, and you know, we all care about. I think the experience that um, really, in, you know, the consumer enjoying their time outside, having a safe and memorable experience, um, and that the consumer is changing, and we need to change with the consumer. And they're not going to just go fishing. They might go fishing on their paddleboard. They might go fishing on their boat. They might go fishing because there's actually camping and their RV near a lake. And so when you're one segment of this big industry, you, you 
realize, you start to realize your consumer is participating in a lot of other the other segments. They're going to those other retail locations. They're buying that other gear and equipment. Uh, and it makes sense to work together to provide the best experience for the consumer and to increase access for what should be, you know, the next generation of consumers, the, what, what should be you know, the new people we want to help support getting outside. And I think that's something we all need to think about and work together on because no one has cracked that nut entirely. I think COVID helped us crack it. Um, it opened it a little bit for us and it's definitely incumbent on our organizations working together to continue to make people feel welcome in all activities and to share with them that, hey, if you love, you know, skiing, you might want to think about surfing, like, or if you love surfing, you might want to think about mountain biking and fishing and, and that there's a, a really broad and diverse set of experiences you can have outdoors. And, and we're here, you know, I think for all of those. Yeah. It's really exciting to think about the opportunities. Well, some ways exciting, some ways daunting to think about, you know, how much further we have to go to, yeah, understanding what that growth potential looks like and how we get there. But I mean, looking back, you and I, I think, came to D.C. working in this area around the same time. I started at ASA as a policy fellow the first year of the Obama administration. So I've really enjoyed seeing over that time how much more, not just fishing, but really outdoor recreation as a whole has grown in terms of its recognition and, and prominence on Capitol Hill, recognizing we still have a long ways to go. But um, it feels like we've gone from like a, you know, nice to have sort of pat you on the head. Yeah, that's, that's outdoor recreation is nice and all, but we're going to go work on real issues to where it seems like we're, we're much more recognized as a, as a force and especially that economic message that this isn't just sort of a nice to have fun leisurely activity. It is great from a social and, and cultural standpoint, but the economic might behind it. So have you sort of perceived that diff- that the same way too, that this, oh, yeah. this, this, this sort of train's got some momentum behind it? Yeah, I mean, I, even going back, my my role at OIA when I came on board and had to register as a lobbyist and, you know, was kind of being introduced as such, businesses were against that. They didn't want a lobbyist, you know, they're, you know, part of the dirtbag culture or the, you know, we, we do this because it's great and people love it and, and it's fun. And it's like, no, we do this also because we have jobs and communities rely on this and um, economic development relies on this. So it, it, it just seeing the evolution of our industry can't have a lobbyist to, wow, the collective industries together probably have many lobbyists and many experts and are driving national policy. You know, I was at the infrastructure bill signing with the president. That That's like nothing you could have imagined 10 years ago that outdoor recreation would have what we had in the infrastructure bill. A lot of work thanks to your organization. And I, I mean, I know you guys got wonderful things in it and, and all of us really. Um, the passage of Great American Outdoors Act as a premier thing that Congress did during one of the darkest hours, right in the middle of a fraught election cycle and an international pandemic, they passed the biggest uh, and arguably most important conservation legislation in a generation. So you're starting to see that it's not just, um, like you said, the, the nice to have to the need to have. It's the uh, real, I think, evolution of members of Congress that recreation doesn't fit in this little neat silo of you know, DNR, okay, we have an ENR committee hearing, an energy and natural resource committee hearing, and we're going to talk about this. It's health, it's labor, it's trade, it's 
commerce, it's so much more than just parks and fisheries. Um, and it's also those things, right? But we are rural development. We were able to get in the COVID relief bill that passed a year ago now, 750 million for recreation and travel communities that needed to come back. So think about the Appalachian Trail communities. Um, you know, who have who have completely suffered from people <laughs> being told not to hike during COVID and not to do these through hikes, um, those communities really relied on, on that network. And so, you know, money for them and money for similar economic opportunities across the country. But to see a COVID relief bill addressing recreation as an industry that needed to be supported in its comeback, I mean, these are things, and, and it would be interesting for us all to sit here and reflect, but that were not even thought about four or five years ago, certainly not 10 years ago. And look where we are today. And I, I think it is that collective voice. I think it's all of our individual trade associations getting really sophisticated, hiring, you know, awesome people, having great communications and policy acumen. And it's, of course, the economic data where we, we go in and say, you want to know how much we hurt during COVID? This is how much we hurt. And then a, a member of Congress or, a, or a, you know, someone in agency can say, oh, well, we need to figure out how to fix that. We have hard data to see you know, how much your industry is impacted. And therefore, we can, make, you know, we can find a solution on how to get to, um, to make you whole again. And I think without that, it would be very hard to make the case like, oh, we suffered and we need help. You know, now we're like, we, you know, lost a hundred billion dollars in a million jobs during COVID. And now we're probably going to see some of the best economic numbers we've ever seen in 2021, because we did have that support to come back. And quite frankly, because the American people prioritize recreation and that helps us make the case too. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got a great story to tell. It's interesting. Yeah. Your, your anecdote of, you know, we, we don't want to hire a lobbyist because that's sort of the, the monkey stuff that we don't want to get involved in, but yeah, you know, we've got the story to tell, but you can't rely on that solely to just assume, okay, because outdoor recreation is great. Everyone should know that. Therefore we don't have to do anything. You're right. It, it requires, you know, you got to play the game. You've got to um, get out there and tell your story. You know, and, and what you just said, it reminded me of something a colleague of mine says he's in the, like, the health and fitness industry, you know, part of ORS membership, but he is, it's harder to be in the position we're in where it's like a, a, a feel good industry because there's nothing to push back against. There's no one coming in a legislator's office after you leave saying, you know, we hate the recreation industry. They're not good. Like do this. And, and when you have that push and pull, it's easier to lobby for something because you're like, you're on this side. I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, the NRA or the Sierra Club or whatever. There's there's always something to fight against. We don't really have that, um, you know, that push. And so sometimes it, it makes our efforts seem not as urgent. And I feel like COVID gave us a little bit of that, a little taste of like, oh, we have to, you know, grow from COVID. But it's also a good problem to have. And I think why, you know, that it was so hard for people to understand why we needed lobbyists. Like, doesn't everyone just understand the recreation so good? And it's like, yes, but um, that doesn't mean it becomes a national priority. And that doesn't mean it's funded appropriately. It, there constantly needs to be people in the room at the table, or you're on the menu, even if you're a really good menu item, <laughs> you know, you, you are completely um, irrelevant if you're not in these conversations. And that's why policy experts are so important, is so important that we're in these rooms, even if it should be inherent, even if it is a great or good. Um, that's not necessarily the first thing someone's going to think about if you're not pushing it. But I, I love that thought that it's harder to be an industry that doesn't have something to push back against or have an enemy than it is to be an industry that is just 
you know, I think broadly thought of as a, as a do good, feel good, um, because it can be put on the back burner a lot. And, and then our issues, you know, aren't getting accomplished. I do think that's true generally, although in our case, I think we probably have some commercial fishing and environmental groups that have at times pushed back, uh, but not on like a a fundamental level. I don't think anyone's saying recreational fishing is terrible. We need to get rid of it. At least not, not, not the vast majority of uh, folks around this space. But um, I guess the flip side of that though, is, you know, you mentioned things like the great American outdoors act when things were so contentious. I mean, even at a political standpoint where we were about at our darkest time uh, for folks to come together and get that major piece of conservation and, and land management funding legislation done to me, that's an indication that we're, you know, there's there's a, a, a positive side to that feel good thing too. That when folks are so partisan and, and things are so contentious that, and it doesn't matter if you're a you know rural legislator or an urban legislator, you know, outdoor recreation is so ubiquitous. I mean, I think COVID especially has shined a light on even if you live in an urban environment, you need to have access to these spaces, you know, for a variety of reasons. And if you're in a, a rural setting, you know, it's sort of inherently known how important the outdoors are to you, that you see this still being an area that people can come together, uh, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, and work together. Um, but I, I hope what, and ORR has done such a great job of this, is that we've been able to make it relevant, that not only is it something you can work together on, but you should, and you, you know, there's, there's political capital that you gain by getting involved in this, because it's this, it's this such a good message to, to tell. Um, I, I mean, you, you feel like you're seeing that too? Yeah, no. And I think that's a good point. Like, obviously you want the, the, the pushback helps with friction because there's urgency and you can say, ah, oh, we got to fight this fight, but also being widely appealing and bipartisan does feel special in an era of, um, complete partisanship and, um, so much, I think fraught discord when we had our, um, recreation package hearing in December that I testified at, you know, it's like a kumbaya and you see members of Congress that, you know, you traditionally will see, you know, fighting each other as talking heads on, on whatever news channel. And you hear them talking about, well, my favorite park is X and uh, my park's better than yours. And they're saying, no, my park, you come over to my park. Cause there's even better trails or better fishing, or you should see this fish I caught, or you should see this deer I got. And the whole thing was like a love fest. And I'm like, hey guys, we're talking about policy, you know, and, and it just everyone in agreement and wanting to have a bill in this package and wanting to bring something home to their constituents to say that they care. I mean, that is, I think, um, some there's a lot to be said for that and to be said for an industry that can bring people together like that and bring so many issue areas as a win-win. Um, and I don't know many others who can do that and who can get people a personal, you know, the personal stories that come out in these hearings or briefings or testimonies when you get members of Congress or, you know, agency leads or executives, it's all, there's always a personal story. There's time spent outside of the family. There's, you know, that, that first time they caught a fish or, um, the first time they summited a mountain and, and that feeling. Um, and that is something that I don't think we can quantify and it's, it's good that we can't quantify that. I think that's okay. We've got the numbers and we've got that intrinsic value, that, that bipartisanship. And um, I think a place where members can come together and there doesn't have to be the day-to-day turmoil that they're probably feeling in most other areas. Right. You mentioned hearings. Um, I mean, that's something you, you probably could quantify to validate what we're talking about here is the number of hearings, 
either focused entirely on outdoor recreation or where you know you were testifying from the outdoor recreation community. I mean, there's been from my vantage point, I haven't actually gone through and done the math, but uh, seems like there's been a pretty big uptick. I mean, Glenn testified a year or so ago over in the Senate on a hearing focused entirely on the impacts of COVID on the outdoor recreation community. And yeah, that was one of those fun ones where you had senators arguing over, you know, which state had the better fishing opportunities in it and and that type of thing. But um, anyway, that's all just to sort of demonstrate that uh, there are a lot more folks paying attention to this these days. And um, yeah, I think I think it was two years ago or last year, maybe it was my first year or maybe it's two years ago. It's like nine hearings in outdoor recreation and only three of them were in natural resources, one in small business, one in commerce, one in, you know, ag. It was like, wow, I, you know, not to have a recreation specific hearing to have a recreation witness was like, uh, you know, gold mm-hmm. <laughs> medal standard. <laughs> you know, eight years ago, six years ago, then to have like a recreation hearing in one of the committees of jurisdiction. And now we're just seeing, you know, small business committee say, hey, can you bring in, um, you know, uh, uh, angler from Virginia to testify on how recreation is driving commerce in the state? And we're like, what? (laughs) Sure. um, That sounds awesome. So it's it's been more hearings, but it's also that non-endemic network that's now thinking about recreation, this relief bill I mentioned, I mean, that money came from the Economic Development Agency in commerce. That that money isn't fish and wildlife money. That's not BLM. It's not Forest Service. That's from economic development, understanding that recreation is really important and that they need to support that community. And so um, the more I see hearings and briefings and conversations beyond just natural resource committees, the, the more excited I get about um, the real understanding of recreations happening, uh, in the policy community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of hearings, um, although this is more specific in the natural resource space, but you mentioned, um, the Senate ENR energy and natural resources committee, uh, at least at this time on the April 28th, we are anticipating a committee markup early next week on this. Um, again, in the theme of sort of showing the evolution of this industry, something called the Outdoor Recreation Act, a bill focused entirely on outdoor recreation, which I'm not sure we've seen something this specific to our industry before. Um, Could you speak a little bit to um, sort of that act, sort of what's some of the stuff that's in it? What does this represent in terms of um, seeing the Senate come together and, and what are we hoping might happen next week? Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is the first in my time in the space and I and I think ever that there's a whole package just dedicated to recreation that is not dependent on something bigger passing, whether it's an omnibus or a public lands bill. I think the novelty there is that we've been able to say recreation can stand alone and we don't have to go with these other huge things. We have enough that needs to be done for us. And that is actually quite less controversial in a lot of ways. Um, and of course, there's things in other packages that we care about, but can we move something that is bipartisan and, you know, it doesn't have a huge cost or any cost um, for this package and isn't, you know, tit for tat on you get this lands bill, so I'll get this one or you get this one. This is something everyone just agrees on. Um, and that is the beauty. And I think the thinking that was always behind this package was let's show a, that we can do this. And so we can have something like a recreation recreation package every three to four years to move good policy, not reliant on, you know, if people want to move 
monuments and and parks bills and i think we have really important things that we want to put in here so it's kind of twofold um the hearing went swimmingly as i mentioned in december there's been a lot of work by the committee i mean an insane amount of work um to get the language right and to ensure you know bipartisanship and all committee members that had recreation bills were included and again that there wasn't a cost right so some things had to fall off because I think Congress is very aware of the spending that's been happening and it was important to keep this, um, uh, you know, to bills that didn't score, which obviously lessens what we can do, but it's, it's again, important. We're not always asking for handouts and money. Sometimes we just need good management decisions. Um, and, and the hearing or the markup, I'm sorry, should be next Tuesday at 10 a.m. And it should pass um, if all goes well uh, with flying colors, the committee, and then move on to the Senate floor, which would be really, really exciting. And I think if we can get floor time, which it sounds like it's possible this spring, we can have this bill completely out of the Senate and, and focus up on the House, hopefully before um, the session ends. And, and what a win that would be. What a true testament of the power of this industry. And then also, you know, the opportunity that comes with bringing all of these uh, segments of the industry together, right? There's um, aquatic species uh, bills in here for for fishing and boating. There's um, bills for off-road trails and and biking, long distance bike trails for the bike industry. There's things for guides and outfitters and permitting. There's um, more broad, you know, how we all work together with the federal agencies for all of the recreationists. So it's exciting to see all of that come together. And then all of our associations, I think, acknowledge that, we have a lot of similarities, but some of us just need our own stuff and we'll all support, you know, our fellow, um, uh, you know, our ATV and motorcycle industry getting what they need and they'll support the, um, you know, divers getting what they need. And, and I think that's been um, kind of the beauty in the process of this all coming together. Yeah. Well, I like the way you put that where we don't always just come and ask for more money. You know, we, we've had things like Great American Outdoors Act, which started making substantial improvement at finally getting the the funding to catch up to the need of, of land management. But yeah, this is more about just good policy, good management, not necessarily just throwing a bunch more money at it. Um, and yeah, it's been interesting working on this bill and seeing things in there where I look at it. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm sure this is important to the, the mountain bikers or uh, you know the RV industry. I don't really understand it, but if it's important to them, then we'll all work on it together because they're probably looking at the uh, you know aquatic invasive species inspection station section the same way but um yeah it's yep. that rising tide lifts all boats concept that we'll we'll all work on this stuff together so um put our best effort towards this next week and and keep moving it forward but it is to your point a, a good testament that we're not necessarily relying on something else anymore to to get these things done that we can stand on our own and you know from our fishing standpoint we had a little bit of a parallel process several years ago with our our modern fish act which was the first ever law on uh, federal marine saltwater recreational fisheries, federal marine management, which we'd always kind of been an afterthought and had always been wrapped up in a much broader marine fisheries legislation. We said, no, we're tired of waiting around on that and sort of being the afterthought. Let's push our own recreational fishing specific piece of legislation forward and ultimately got it done. But again, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a part of this broader message that outdoor recreation is starting to gain some momentum here. But let's pivot away from that a little bit. Um, last few minutes we've got here. We've talked a lot about sort of legislative policy side, but obviously ORR is doing a lot more than than that. A couple of things I wanted to touch on was um, uh, ORR over the last year plus has been working on an exciting initiative called Together Outdoors, focusing on this significant need. I think we all see in the outdoor recreation space of um, 
acknowledging some some diversity, equity, inclusion challenges that we need to um, start doing a better job of confronting and uh, and addressing. So, can you speak, Jess, some to that whole campaign? Um, sort of what's been going on to date. Where do you see it going in the future, and ultimately the impact it might have on all of our industries? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many groups out there thinking about this, and I think doing great work. And we were really aware that we didn't want to be duplicative and that we weren't going to be the one-stop shop or and I'll be all for DEI education, right? I mean, everyone can access that differently. There's there's amazing experts and organizations that do that so well. But what we thought we could do is bring together our network, what we do best, I think, is convene, um, to share how things are working and aren't working to be more inclusive as an industry and to create more inclusive spaces. So some of our industry creates the gear, products, apparel, equipment, vehicles that help people get to places. And some of our industry um, creates the space where people go, whether it's private campgrounds, public campgrounds, private marinas, public marinas, um, the trails, uh, you know, people have management over those spaces or, or even ownership if it's private. And there's just been so many discussions and, and really sad stories about the outdoors not feeling welcoming to everyone. When we talk about access, you know, I think a lot of times we're talking about from point A to point B and, and how you get there through a car or, you know, how you can't get there because it's more than 10 minutes away. Um, but some of it is just not feeling welcome at a campground if there's a certain flag flying on the RV next to you or not feeling welcome at a marina if you've never boated before and you're renting a boat and there's not someone there to support that journey that you know initial journey or if you are putting trash in the wrong place you know uh, at a KOA and then um, getting reprimanded for it but you you know you've never camped before I think there's a lot to learn on the business side about how we can um, not just welcome new people but you know really keep the momentum up that we saw during COVID of everyone getting outside more and making sure that that's really what our future looks like, that our future is more diverse and more welcoming and it feels safe for everyone. And Together Outdoors does this through education and programming. Um, we are developing an inclusive site uh, toolkit so that sites can, you know, kind of check the boxes and say, well, you know, this was helpful. I hadn't thought about this or this is something we can implement. All of it is really working together to learn from each other, to learn from associations who are doing things well or some who have questions, to learn from experts. We have an advisory council council of DEI leaders in the field who've been doing this work forever and a really diverse governance council of executives in the industry um, whose organizations are doing a lot of work, but who are also, you know, in the learning process. So we've hired Jerry James Savos, who um, runs together outdoors and has a has a team of colleagues that are really helping him. And we've just seen so many great conversations come from this initiative. And and we feel like there really is a need. And and so we have a resource hub um, that's almost ready for launch, which will just have resources, you know, from any walk of outdoor recreation, any type of outdoor recreation. Um, you know, why places you know, don't feel welcoming. A lot of parks in the South, you know, just became desegregated within the lifetime of some people. So of course they don't feel welcome. They weren't welcome there. They know their parents weren't welcome there. So there's some of it is just understanding the background that the outdoors hasn't always been welcoming. And, and there's um, certainly education to be had, I think on all of our parts. And then there's just um, uh, a lot 
that we can do more thoughtfully in our marketing, our advertising, and how we build our teams, um, and where we, you know, go when we have a job opening. Um, you know, who are we sending that to? Are we including HBCUs on that, or is it, you know, just the Ivy Leagues, or is it just, you know, the Big Ten? Um, and and then once we have more of a diverse employee base, how are we retaining that diversity? Are, are we acknowledging that, you know, sometimes it's different to manage a team of diverse employees because the manager might not have experience in DEI or they might not have background. And so um, through that process, I think we're learning that we have more learning to do. And it's just been an awesome collaborative way to bring the industry together without necessarily, you know, the call out culture or without, I think being super specific about what every company needs to do differently, it's more of a sharing and a journey. Um, and we're creating a couple more guardrails around that, uh, which we'll be launching soon. So excited to share that with you, what it means to be a member and what you're committing to, because I think that's really important. We don't want people to just slap a sticker on and say, hey, we're an inclusive organization because we're part of Together Outdoors. It really needs to mean something. And we're most interested in groups that want to do the work and want to do the work with us. Well, it's a uh obviously really important topic, but also complicated in that there's just a lot to it. And I think that emphasis on education in so many different facets of helping organizations and businesses understand, yeah, what are, what are those challenges? What are minorities and underserved communities seeing as the the barriers to participating in these sports? And, you know, it's not as going to be as simple as, you know, just do these one or two things and, you know, we'll, we'll fix the problem. It's that's where that education and um, and providing those resources to help people understand what are the what are the challenges, but also what can we start doing to to chip away at it. Um, I think the only way we're going to grow and improve. So, um, but yeah, appreciate all the work you all are doing on that, and look forward to a lot of uh, more exciting content to come from that and the resource center and, and everything else. Um, so let's last touch on something that's fairly fresh. I'm sure in your mind is uh, something I know you spent a lot of time over the last few weeks putting together. Uh, ORR just yesterday on um, April 27th put together a summit on um, EV next generation technology, uh, which I've heard a lot of good things about. I wasn't able to attend personally, but again, this is another example of where ORR is collectively bringing together different industries with common challenges and uh, sort of trying to figure out how do we collectively get towards this new future. So uh, how'd that summit go? And um you know, sort of what, what lessons were learned? Where do you see that whole conversation going? Oh, it was such an exciting day. We've never brought the, you know, cross-sector segments together and full industry on EVs and everyone in their own space, you know, Brunswick and, and Marine and Pure Fishing. And, and um, I know I've been thinking about electric and uh, Polaris and Zero in the motorcycle space and Winnebago and Airstream. Um, and then you get into like the vehicles that actually get us to the places we want to go, like Subaru and Rivian <laughs> um, and GM who have electric vehicles coming out and are really advertising them as these like outdoor, you know, explorers. Uh, we've never brought everyone together and talked to policymakers about the opportunities. I, I think there was a real realization yesterday from members of Congress and, and uh, staff at the agencies and even leadership at the agencies who joined us that this is here. You know, the EV future for recreation is here and there's not the infrastructure that the um, federal highway system has in place on our public lands and waters for this. And how do we use community partners like private campgrounds, like um, rural community, you know, downtown areas um, for charging infrastructure? How do we make sure that the technology really is helping us achieve a carbon neutral 
uh, footprint. And I, and I think on the boating side, it's a lot more complicated than on land. There's a lot more issues with putting a really heavy battery on a boat than there is an RV or in a car. And, and so that efficiency isn't necessarily there. Um, are there other solutions, you know, other solutions to be greener, are there hydro solutions, are there biofuel solutions? So it was fascinating and so much was learned. I think we're still digesting it, but I was just shocked at how many people are interested in this industry, you know, partners from the National Parks Conservation Association to Trust for Public Land uh, were there. Um, Indian Affairs was talking to us about how reservations are not just food deserts, but now they're charging, you know, electric deserts um, and what that will do. Uh, most reservations are near around public lands and a lot of places out west you go through tribal lands or reservation to get to your rural destination, well, if there's no charging, you know, that's a problem. It's also a problem for tribes who are looking for economic development. If um, electric cars and electric infrastructure can't go to a reservation because they can't charge and just how different we are from the fleet. When you're talking about a car that's going to take you from point A to point B and back to point A, um, which is how most people are using electric vehicles these days to and from work. You've got your charging at home, charging at work or on your way to work or at somewhere near work, charging back at home. The way people experience outdoor recreation, um, you know, is, is a little different. Sometimes it's a four or five day journey. Sometimes it's a month long. Um, sometimes you don't know where you're going. That's the beauty of it. Or you don't know where it's going to take you. Or you don't know how many days you're going to camp or how long it's going to take for you to get your, your hunting opportunity or how long it's going to take for you to get that fish. Um, and so there needs to be a lot more certainty than there is now on the electric grid for recreation and the vehicles are awesome, you know, and, and we heard a lot about how cool it is to be behind, you know, electric boat and, and how fast you can go and how smooth it is. Same for a motorcycle. The pickup is just amazing. How quiet it is. Imagine the experience you can have in nature if you don't have an engine making noise. I mean, it's, pr it's pretty interesting and pretty profound as we look at a day when maybe all, you know, off-road vehicles are electric and there's no more noise um, in the backcountry. So, challenges and opportunities galore and and just amazing to bring together all of these people that want to work together and especially competitors. And I give them a lot of credit for um, bringing their trade secrets and sharing them and, and just being open to the conversation. So really exciting and lots to come on this initiative. Yeah. Challenges and opportunities for sure. But one of those, um, like a lot of these issues, you can see the writing on the wall of what the future is going to look like, whether it's five years, 10 years, 50 years from now. And, uh, you know, how can we as collective industries sort of look to that vision and, you know, instead of waiting on government to tell us, you know, how we need to adapt, how can we kind of get out in front and demonstrate what that path forward for our industries might look like to get to carbon neutrality or electric uh, propulsion, et cetera. Definitely appreciate ORR and the role it's playing in facilitating that collective discussion. And um, yeah, very exciting. And um, it's going to take some thought and time on how we get there, but a lot of good shared uh, understanding of what that might look like. So, well, Jess, I really appreciate your time. I always have this um, <laughs> clearly unrealistic expectation that these conversations will take around 20 minutes or so. Uh, we've clearly gone past I was past like, you've that. never heard me talk, have you, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it, I'm guilty of it too. I, I keep wanting to dive into stuff and uh, there's just a lot of good, a lot of good information to cover. So, and there's, this is just tip of the iceberg really here with everything ORR is doing. But um, Jess, really appreciate having you on here and uh, giving us a great overview of all the exciting work that's going on with ORR and this great partnership. I mean, it's of the stuff we work on at, at ASA. This is 
uh, some of the more uh, fun and fulfilling and uh, rewarding stuff we we do is uh, the partnership with ORR and this collective um, benefit we all provide to each other and and working together and and again seeing the future of you know with as far as we've come in just a few years this might look like if we keep going forward so um, now hopefully folks we end up you know we typically share a lot of OR information but if anyone wants to search online for where they can find more information about ORR you know, share any website social media information of, of where people might be able to find you um, yeah, that would. So first, thanks for your membership and ASA is an integral part of ORR success and you specifically on our GR side. So, uh, so appreciative of that um, and the opportunity to talk here. And you can find us at OutdoorRecreationRoundtable.org or Outdoor Recreation Roundtable on Twitter um, and on Instagram. And I'm on LinkedIn, Jessica Wall. I think it's my maiden name. <laughs> I haven't fully changed everything over, but looking forward to connecting with folks and just continuing to work with such a great uh, part of our industry. Well, and you all have a great communication shop there too. So yeah, especially on the social media side, if folks want to see a lot of cool pictures and videos and stay up to date on, on what's going on, uh, we definitely encourage them to check you all out. All right, Jess, well, I will let you go at that, but thanks so much. And uh, we'll certainly be talking plenty over the next few days as we get towards this markup and, and beyond. But, uh, but thanks again for uh, spending some time with us today. Thank you. Have a great one. Thanks again to Jess for taking the time to visit with us and talk about all the exciting work going on with ORR and growing the outdoor recreation sector. Since this show came a week later than scheduled, we'll be back next week with the next episode. But in the meantime, as I plugged earlier, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tight lines.